all doing okay? Good. I'll change that. <laughs> now let's turn to Ephesians chapter 5. And uh, this morning we look at uh, verses 18 through 21. Uh, we're actually going to spend at least two weeks on these verses. Um, this morning we're just sort of uh, approaching the very first phrase, which is do not get drunk. And uh, what I would like to say is that we're really not going to preach a sermon this morning. Um, what I want to do is I just want to talk with you. Um, at the early service, I said like a Dutch uncle. But nobody knew what a Dutch uncle was. A Dutch uncle is somebody who gives you advice that you don't really want, but they give it to you anyway. And, uh, and that, that's what I'd like to do is just give you some of the uh, things that I think about when it comes to the issue of drinking. Um, it's, it's an important issue. Uh, particularly in our culture and in our, our time today. In our society, one out of 12 people who drink is an alcoholic or has a problem with alcohol. One in five people know somebody, has somebody in their family who is an alcoholic. So it's, it's a problem with the abuse of alcohol. Now, I, I know what's going to happen. He's going, well, the Bible says don't get drunk. It doesn't say don't drink. It says don't get drunk. Well, I'd just like to think about What's the best way to never get drunk? Yeah, you, you already figured it out. So you guys can leave early during the last song, and uh, uh, you don't have to listen to all this. But, uh, but you know, look, we all know these things. You know, like uh, the Bible has, uh, you know, hundreds of verses about drinking, and about a, about a third of them say it's bad, and about a third of them say, well, it's, it's uh, you know, kind of a fun thing to do, and... And uh, the rest of the verses are sort of neutral to it. I, I know that you, you know, somebody's going to say, didn't Jesus drink? And the answer is, well, not the way you're thinking about it. You see, alcohol today is not the same as alcohol back then. And I'm not saying that because I looked it up on Moody Bible Institute website. I, I, when I do my research, I go to the horse's mouth. I went to the culinary wine page, you know, where they're talking about wine and and things like bouquet, and this is a saucy little wine that has a certain amount of impertinence. So I read up on the history of ancient wine, and it turns out modern distilled uh, liquors uh, uh, really post-date the time of Christ. Uh, they, They were just developed after that. Wine in the days of the New Testament and the Old Testament was pretty foul stuff. Um, in fact, the Romans actually added calcium to their wine to try to make it more palatable. Um, so we're, we're, we're not in that situation. It, it's much uh, um, on a different order. Wine back then was, was necessary for um, sort of making water uh, potable, making it drinkable. And uh, so they, it was just a different cultural milieu. So to say, well, didn't Jesus drink? Yeah, that's not as easy a question as you think. Ah, but... Jesus turned water into wine at the wedding of Canaan. Yes, he also spit on the ground, made a mud pack, and put it on a guy's eyes. Don't do that either, okay? Um, In other words, it it all comes in context. And and what I want for us to do is think about in our world today, uh, really, uh, what what is the, the best way to think about drinking and the best way to think about the consumption of alcohol? Now, it, it's important because of the, the way some people suffer with the affliction of alcoholism. 
It's also important because of its relationship to other things. Uh, right now in our country, there's a big movement to legalize recreational marijuana. You know what one of the biggest arguments for it is? It's not as bad as alcohol. You know? um, that's sort of like saying, well, getting hit by a car, it's not as bad as getting hit by a Mack truck. You know? um, but, uh, but because of the acceptance of alcohol as a recreational beverage, um, it's, it, 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 it's, it's sort of easy for folks to come along and say, well, what about our recreational this and our recreational that? And, you know, what, what about marijuana and what about vaping and, and, and these kinds of things. And so we need to figure out how do we maintain the high ground when we're having these kinds of discussions and we're not sort of um, uh, brought down by something that we're doing uh, in that regard. Uh, it, it, very important, I, I think, that we think through this. And that's why I'm saying I, I really don't want to preach a sermon because that's more like Billy Sunday. You don't remember him, but he was a, uh, one of those... Uh, uh, prohibition uh, preachers who would run the circuit and he'd get up on tables and he'd shout at people and all that and, and I don't feel like doing that and you don't feel like seeing me do it either um, but I do want to talk to you um, just about some of the things I think about when I think about the issue of drinking and uh, should a Christian drink right? Uh, the reason we're doing that is because the very first words do not get drunk with wine, that is debauchery um, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So we'll look at the very first phrase, don't get drunk. Just think about that for a little bit, and then next week we'll move into the rest of the, of the passage. Let's bow together in prayer. Father, I do pray for the outpouring of your Holy Spirit to give us wisdom in our moments together today, that we would have open minds and open hearts, not to the arguments of man, but, Father, to the movement of your Spirit, that we, be, we would be open to correction and to reproof. Father, that we would be open to the work of the Spirit to conform us and shape us into the image of Christ. Father, that before we live this, leave this place, we will have grown in some way closer to being like Jesus in all our words and ways. Father, we thank you for your presence here. Pray you would be glorified in it all in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm pretty much aware of the danger I'm in right now. Uh, over the years of ministry, what I know is that if you talk about two subjects, people get a little bit anxious. One of them's money. The other one's alcohol. I, I don't understand it. You can talk about anything else. But if you talk about God wants you to be responsible with your money and God wants you to be responsible with regard to ingesting things into your body, such as drugs and such as alcohol, people get all uptight about it. Maybe you're feeling that right now. Well, don't worry about it. I'm not here to reproduce the prohibition movement of the last century, although I thought it was a good idea. And uh, I still think it was a good idea. Uh, what, I, what I should tell you is that, you know, the, the mythology is that prohibition didn't work. Prohibition was uh, legislation passed by the, uh, uh, the government, the United States Congress, that um, basically made it illegal to, not to drink, but to uh, sell alcohol and cross state lines. So it basically put a damper on alcohol consumption in the United States. And during the years of prohibition, 
alcohol consumption actually went down in the United States. And after prohibition was repealed, and you could drink again, alcohol consumption stayed down in the United States and really has not come back up until the last oh, about 30, 40 years where it's starting just now to reach the same levels as we had back in the 1920s. Uh, so actually prohibition worked. It actually did not cause crime and it actually didn't increase. Uh, the, the biggest reason why prohibition was repealed, you do know, don't you? It was because of the Great Depression the government couldn't collect enough income taxes, so it said, let's legalize alcohol and we can tax it and we'll get more money. Does this sound familiar? I'm telling you, all the arguments that are used today for recreational marijuana have been used already, and they were used during the days of uh, prohibition and, and things like that. So I'm, I'm not here to reproduce that, although um, uh, I'm, I'm waiting. I'll, I'll vote for it if it ever comes back. But uh, that's, that's just the na nature of the case. Now let me tell you, in the interest of full disclosure, so you know where I'm coming from, I've never had a drink in my life, and I've never been drunk. Sort of. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you want the story? Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, you did. <laughs> tell it all, Pastor. <laughs> but uh, a couple of years back, uh, I uh, uh, broke a tooth in the back of my jaw, and it was very, very, very painful, and it needed to be pulled. And of course, being a man, I wanted to go to sleep. I didn't want to live through that. <laughs> so uh, uh, the dentist put me in touch with the oral surgeon. They said, well, we can fit you in in about two weeks. I said, what, two weeks of this pain in my, in my jaw? They said, oh, no, 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 that's two weeks for the consultation. It'll be another couple of weeks after that before you can have it pulled. And I'm thinking, this, this is not what I wanted. Uh, uh, so um, uh, Monica got me in touch with the dentist who did sedation dentistry and could fit me in that day. And so I went over and he's explaining to me how he does it. Now I'm used to sedation dentistry where um, you just go to sleep. You know, you go to sleep and you wake up, it's done and you're fine, you're in the back cave and it's, it's just wonderful. <laughs> but this dentist is explaining to me the joys of laughing gas. And he says, you know, you, you, here's, here's how you feel. And I said, well, I don't, I've never had this. He said, it's okay, it's like having three shots of whiskey. I said, I, I can't relate to that in my world. He, he says, okay, he, he says, don't worry about it, you'll, you'll get there. So, and you know, I get the mask, the gas, he's turning it on and all that, and I feel great. You know, and he's just going great. He says, open your mouth, sure. He says, I've got to give you a shot so it won't hurt so much when you wake up. I said, great, have at it. And uh, he says, okay, I'm going to pull the tooth now. You know, that, that was wonderful. He, and he's, I don't know how long he was working on it. I'm awake during the whole thing, but I don't care. <laughs> I actually don't care. When he's through, he says, well, we're done with that tooth. I said, yeah, I got another one over here. You want to try that too? <laughs> Most of that story is true. But uh, I got to thinking about that, that there was something that got me through pain, so I didn't care. And sometimes life hurts a lot. And you would do almost anything to make the pain go away. And in that kind of setting, I think about if alcohol had been in my life when I was going through the depression, you know, in my 40s, I don't know what I would have done. But if it had been available, it hurt so bad, I would have done anything 
to make it stop. I grew up in a home where there was no alcohol at all. There wasn't cooking alcohol, wine, or whatever. It, it just wasn't there. It just isn't a part of my life. So that when I was in the pit and it hurt so bad, it wasn't there to suck me down even lower. So that's, that's sort of where I'm coming from. And my, my hope for you is that you'll just think about these things and think about how you can honor God and honor Christ in your life. Because after all, Jesus is he's just a beautiful Savior. And wouldn't it be just tragic if something in our lives took us away from the beauty of Christ? So I just have a few thoughts for you this morning. And um, I guess where I would start is simply to say that for the believer to use alcohol as a beverage is unnecessary. You just don't have to do it. You know, and I, I know it. I, I, you know, I... I I actually talk to people, and I know the, the, the thing about, oh, this is a special day. We want to have, you know, uh, uh, wine or alcohol or champagne or something, and, and it's, it's because the day is special. Well, the day is special. You don't need alcohol to make it fuzzy. If the day is special, you say, well, it's so special, we need something special to drink. No, you don't. It's completely and totally unnecessary. I, you know, I, sometimes you hear, well, I have to drink because of my job. You know, when, uh, a lot of our business workings and meetings, all of them take place and, and uh, cocktail parties, and you have to have a drink in your hand, so I have to drink a little bit because that, my job requires it. And, and you hear this all the time. And the answer is, no, you don't. Let me remind you about a guy named Daniel. Daniel wound up being a prophet in the Old Testament, but as a young man, he was taken from Israel to Babylon. The Babylonians had, had conquered the nation, and the uh, policy of the Babylonians was to uh, take the intellectual and the leaders and the promising young men of, of the country they conquered, bring them to Babylon, and sort of Babylonize them. You know, uh, uh, you know, make them think like Babylonians and appreciate Babylonian culture and those kinds of things. And that way, Babylon would have a, a group of people who knew the country they were trying to administer but were sympathetic to the Babylonian way of, of doing things. So um, along with people from all over the world, but da uh, Daniel, along with his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, were brought to Babylon. And when they got there, they were put on the training table. Those of you who played football, you remember the training table. Um, maybe you weren't good enough to get on the training table, but... Uh, uh, but the, the training table is where, if you're good enough and you're on the team, you get to sit and there's all kinds of food and you get to eat as much as you want for free. And so Daniel is put on the training table with his friends and there's all these sumptuous meats and foods and rich food and, and the Bible says, and the best wine, the very best wine. And Daniel goes to the guy in charge and says, look, we can't do this. So this, this dishonors God. So we can't eat this food and we can't drink this wine. It dishonors God. Let us eat vegetables. Now, that, that wasn't, he wasn't going vegan on you. But uh, it, it was that, that the meat, the only meat available was, was the rich meat, the meat that had gone through the sacrificial process system. It, it was tainted spiritually, if, if, if you will. But he said, just, just let us eat just pure, um, you know, fresh vegetables. And then he said, and water. Now, for Daniel to say that, he was risking not just his job, 
He was risking his life. And it made him stand out, made him different. It, it even engendered enmity and animosity from other people. But he said, we can't do this. And the, the guy in charge, he says, well, he says, what's going to happen? You're not going to play in the program. We'll get to the end of the training session. You guys are going to be way far behind. It'll, they'll be mad at me. Dan says, no, let's just try this. And so they went through the process and all the training and everybody else is eating the rich food and the alcohol and Daniel and his friends aren't and at the conclusion of it, they were head and shoulders above the rest. You see, alcohol is actually unnecessary in your life. You don't really need it at all. For a believer to drink alcohol is also unbecoming. It just doesn't suit who we are in Jesus Christ. We want to look like Jesus. You know, just get in your mind, Jesus with a Jack Daniels in his hand. Jesus, you know, uh, asking, you know, and, and, and doing the kind of... Uh, uh, I, I think Jesus had a great sense of humor. I'm sure he had a great sense of humor. You know, he said things like, you know, it's easier for a camel to get through the eye of a needle. Just ponder that and you'll start laughing out loud. And then for a rich man to get in, into heaven. So he, he, has, he has a sense of humor. But he doesn't have to use alcohol to make it seem like it's funnier than it is. Debbie and I attended a wedding years ago. And uh, alcohol was being served and all that. And we, we just indicated that we'd rather sit at a table where alcohol was not served. And uh, that's, that's where we were. And I want to tell you this. Our table laughed more than any other table. The difference is we remembered laughing. <laughs> um, I mean, let me just ask you, have you ever been to a wedding with an open bar where somebody didn't get drunk? If you have, write it down. It's a rare thing. Send it to Guinness. Um, it's, it's just something about the availability. There's going to be somebody who can't control it, and they're, and, and they're going to abuse it. But it's just unbecoming of a Christian, a believer in Christ, who wants to look like Jesus, to let alcohol float through their lives. And, and in, by the way, any other drug, you know, any, any other kinds of artificial stimulant. Um, we're not talking about medical treatment here, you know, because people will say things like, oh, didn't Paul tell Timothy, take a little wine for the stomach's sake? You remember that? He did. That's about word for word. Take a little wine for the stomach's sake. That means the Bible says it's okay to drink. No, think about what he said. He said, Timothy... In your quest to look like Jesus, you don't drink any alcohol at all. But in our world today, with your stomach problems the way they are, you need a little bit of medicine. And that's why I'm not going to get bent out of shape if you have a little NyQuil at night, you know, and you have a cough and can't get to sleep. But it was because Timothy was not drinking that it needed mention about the medicinal use. So it just, it just is unbecoming of, of a believer. And, and that goes back to the Old Testament. Let me give you this, this passage. This is found in Leviticus chapter 10. I'll read it for you. Uh, starts at verse 8. It says, And the Lord spoke to Aaron. Aaron had priestly duties in the, uh, of what was called the tent of meeting. It's where the people in their worship would meet with God. So it's, it's the worship services, where you had the worship services. The Lord spoke to Aaron saying, Drink no wine or strong drink, you or your sons, with you when you go into the tent of meeting, lest you die. 
It shall be a statue forever throughout your generation. You are to distinguish between the holy and the common and between the unclean and the clean. And you'll teach this to the sons of Israel. God said, when you come in to worship me, he says, don't you dare take a drink. He says, you'll die if you do. I mean, it, would, would it comfort you if you thought your pastor was taking a drink before church? I mean, with that, would you say, oh, wow, at least we, now we can glorify God. Now, that, that's not as silly as it sounds. You know, what's the number one fear people have? Speaking in public. Speaking in public. Do you want to speak in public? Anybody? You know, you, you really anxious to get up here and talk to a room full of people? Some of whom have found other interesting things to do. What makes you think I don't feel that? Every man I know who fills a pulpit, they'll say something like this. It starts on Thursday, and the anxiety just builds all weekend long until it's over on a Sunday. And then it starts again, over and over and over again. There's that anxiety. But what would you prefer? You want your, your pastor to come into the pulpit filled with a drink or filled with the Holy Spirit? I'll tell you how I deal with the anxiety. I pray for God's Holy Spirit. And the sermons didn't get any better, but the Holy Spirit tricked you into thinking of it. So, you know, the Spirit is working on that. But it, it's just unbecoming. It, it just, it adds nothing to your witness. It adds nothing to the, the presentation and the, and, the, and the conformity to the image of Christ. Alcohol adds nothing to looking like Jesus in your life. You know, the, the, the things that some people will associate with alcohol, things like hospitality and, you know, embracing people and opening up your home and all that, that can all be done without alcohol. You just don't need it. And so it's unbecoming. It just doesn't look right. It doesn't, it doesn't actually, it doesn't fit in, particularly with what we know today about alcohol. Third thing I'd say is that uh, for a believer to uh, drink alcohol as a beverage, um, is actually unloving. It's unloving. Paul in Romans chapter 14 uh, says that, um, and, and the issue there was one of uh, uh, what's called eating meat sacrificed to idols. Uh, back then, if you were going to go buy a steak, you'd buy from the marketplace. Well, the marketplace got its food from the local pagan temple, and the way they got the steak was somebody brought in a sacrificial animal, uh, it was sacrificed in a symbolic way to the God, and therefore this food sacrificed to the idol was then made available uh, for, uh, for sale and, and consumption. And so if you wanted a steak, it, it basically had come through the pagan system, and it was certified as a pagan-approved uh, piece of steak. It didn't have a little K with a circle on it. had had a P for pagan with a little circle on it. But, uh, but anyway, so, and, and some Christians looked at that and said, how can we eat steak if, if it's been through the pagan system? It's been tainted. It's been sacrificed to idols. We cannot eat it. And other Christians were saying, well, no, no. It, 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 idols are nothing. It really doesn't matter. Uh, the food, all of it belongs to God. I mean, let's not get bent out of shape over it. And so there was sort of a controversy. And Paul in Romans chapter 14 said, look. He said, if my eating steak causes another Christian brother to stumble, he said, I'll never eat steak again. He says, I would rather give it up than cause a weaker brother, that's the way he phrases it, weaker brother, to cause a weaker brother to stumble. And for a believer to engage in alcohol 
we're turning to that weaker brother, that one out of 12 who will struggle and suffer with alcoholism. We're turning to that brother and saying, you know, my pleasure is worth more than your pain. Paul said, I'd give it up because you don't know who the weaker brother is. It might be you. I, I, I really pray that you don't drink. Um, but if you do, you might be the weaker brother and it just hasn't hit you yet. I think I've shared with, with, with you before about um, the, the years of, of depression. Uh, it was right around in my mid-40s and, and things like that. I didn't even have enough imagination to do it at another time. It looked like a midlife crisis. But anyway, uh, but going through this depression, you know, I was, I was so hurting. I would have done anything. Now, you, you've seen people who've said, well, why is it that the people telling me not to drink are fat people? Okay, I, 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 I'll own that for this morning, okay? <laughs> at 12 o'clock, you don't get to say it anymore. But for now, you know, I've struggled with weight my whole life. But most of the weight I carry now happened during the Great Depression, in my depression. And it happened because it hurt so bad I needed something to soothe me. And I just went habitual. And I just ate. And I carry it around today as a training device because once I ever lose this weight, I'm going to be, you know. But the difference is someone who has a weight problem has to eat. A person with drinking doesn't have to drink at all. And so, you know, it might be a fat guy telling you don't drink, but he knows he ought not to, you know, carry the weight he does. And he, and he struggles with it, he works with it. It's not a simple thing. I'm not pretending that, that uh, you know, kicking uh, alcoholism is a simple thing, but there's a difference between embracing it and fighting it. But during those years, um, there was just sort of an addictive personality. Some people have an addictive personality. It's just in the genetic code. Some, that, uh, that all different ways that it works. But you might be the weaker brother and you just haven't hit your great depression yet. You just haven't lost your job yet. You haven't had your home break up yet. You haven't had an illness facing you yet. But when that moment comes, do you want alcohol there to distort your life? Because when you get through the crisis, the alcohol won't let go of you. So you might be the weaker brother. Even more tragically, your child might be the weaker brother. Your grandchild might be the weaker brother. Um, I'm not going to tell the story again. It's just too painful. But, but imagine that you had uh, 12 boxes. And in each box, or in 11 of the boxes, you put $100,000. And in one of the other boxes, you put, uh, um, you know, poison or something. I don't know. And you brought your child in and you said, honey, choose one of these boxes. Because you have an 11 out of 12 chance of getting $100,000. There's one chance that it'll kill you. But I'm willing to take that chance. Are you really? Would you do that? To your child? 
I wouldn't. Would you do that to your neighbor? Would you do that to some unknown person who someday will cross your path? And your testimony and your witness will be the difference between they go down a road of alcoholism or they don't. The weaker brother might be your child. If it's not you, it might be someone you love and love desperately. Would you give it up for them? And I would say that, and this in conclusion, that as a believer in Christ, to drink alcohol as a, as a beverage in a recreational sort of way is just unwise. We've been reading about that in, in, the, in the book of Ephesians, to, to walk as wise, not as unwise. Drinking just isn't wise. On the bottom line of it, it doesn't make any sense. I want to illustrate that for you from the book of Proverbs. Again, I'll just read this for you. This is Proverbs 23, uh, and it starts at verse 31. It says this, Do not look at wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup and goes down smoothly. By the way, it doesn't say, do not get, drink, do not get drunk when the wine is red. It says, don't even look at it. This is a verse that says, don't even get started. You know. But do not look at wine when it is red, it sparkles in the cup, goes down smoothly. In the end, it bites like a serpent, it stings like an adder. Your eyes will see strange things and your heart utter perverse things. And you will be like one who lies down in the midst of the sea. Like one who lies on the top of a mast. They struck me, you will say, but I was not hurt. They beat me, but I did not feel it. When shall I awake? I, I must have another drink. And that's the addiction of it. It's just not wise to drink. And so as we go back to Ephesians, let me, let me pull you back to that passage and, and we'll do that in closing. But, uh, you know, verse 8, I want to skip from verse 18 down to verse 21. I'm just going to skip the inter intermediate verses. But it says, do not get drunk with wine, that's debauchery. Be filled with the Spirit, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's the bottom line. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. My life does not belong to me. It belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. And because of that, my life is not my own to inflict upon you. But my life is to be lived for your welfare and your well-being. That doesn't mean I'm going to make everything rosy and so forth. It, it, sometimes it means correction and reproof and those kinds of things. But because we are submitted to Jesus Christ out of reverence and fear of Christ, we are submitting ourselves one to another. And so the bottom line of it is, should a Christian drink? You know, and for anybody still listening, should a Christian drink? Well, not if you want to make God deliriously happy. I'm not saying you won't be happy. You know, there's a lot of people who drink. And I, I understand that there, there's other Christian traditions where alcohol is, is fine and it's approved. The Lutherans, for example... Um, uh, Catholics, for example, and, and on and on. Um, we're kind of like in a minority, and even among Baptists these days, I'm in a minority, and I get that. But if you really want to make God deliriously happy, you won't drink. If you really want to help the people you love, you won't drink. There's, you know, there's no guarantee 
that you know, if you don't drink, nobody in your family becomes an alcoholic? They might still. That's, that's, they still might. Or if you have alcohol in the home that they, that, that they will become an No, they, they'll probably be fine, 11 out of 12 chance. But as much as you were able, the one thing you can do is make sure you weren't the one who contributed to a problem in somebody else's life. There's something to be said for that. You know, should a Christian drink? Not if you want to really live and walk in the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. So, uh, and, and that's basically it. That's, that's the challenge for this week. Is just think about it for a while, would you? Just consider it. What I tell people is, you just pray to God. Ask God to tell you. And I think he will. Just submit it to God. I have a lot of confidence in it. I think he'll tell you the right thing to do. Let's bow together in prayer. Gracious Father, I pray that you would preserve us from all self-righteousness and show us that the only righteousness is your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, preserve us from an attitude that somehow we know better than others because Jesus Christ alone is wisdom and knowledge. Father, teach us not to look at ourselves, but to look always to Jesus, that he alone would rule over us in our lives.